So good to remember the grace of God. We remember that in our time of communion and even singing a song like that. The grace that brought me to the fold of God. So glad you could be here on this beautiful wintry morning. You don't have to love winter to enjoy the beauty of a morning like this, right? Anybody? You're sick of it already, aren't you? Spring's coming. It'll be here. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here. And if we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you. So glad you could be here with us. We're in the book of Acts. We encourage you to turn there or turn on your device and be ready. We'll be in Acts 18 uh, shortly. Last week, we saw the apostle in the city of Athens. We saw there where the spirit provoked him to pain as he considered the condition of the city. We saw him being observant of the city, showing no favoritism to who he would share with. We saw him being kind and conciliatory as he shared. We saw that he was direct and that he called for a response to the gospel. The response there was that some mocked, some stalled, and some believed. Simple fact is, even when the truth is presented, not all will respond, will they? The issues of Athens are really no different than the ones present today. People work diligently to cover all the bases of faith in hopes of being right about something. And sadly, it often results in idolatry and confusion. The words again of Morgan that were very heavy toward Christians and about our feeling toward the unbelievers, he said, where are the Christian men and women of the city? We shall find them and know them by the proxism of their unrest. If there be no proxism, no force, no agony, no heartbreak, no sacrifice, they are not Christians. Again, a heavy, heavy phrase. We who know Christ should be so thankful about the truth that we should be generous in sharing it. Are you pained when you see those who are lost? People in our world today are lost and confused. They need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. I've entitled today's message, Not Forsaken. Growing up in the home that I did, I had the opportunity to observe my father in many circumstances. Uh, My father was a pastor as well. And pastor kids uh, often get a chance to look behind the curtain, if you will, And I was grateful for the authenticity of my father's faith, the godly lifestyle that he led, his words and behavior aligned quite nicely. He genuinely lived out what he preached or tried to. And that's probably what I'm most thankful for when I think about him. He did have his moments like all of us do, his moments of frustration, his moments of being upset. My four brothers and I made sure of that. As I look back on it now, I see that there were times when my father was worn down. As I look back, there was times when there was no spring in his step. Smiles were forced and maybe somewhat rare at times. He had blood pressure issues. Sometimes he was physically present, but his mind was somewhere else. 
In examination of t- today's text, I, I followed my standard patterns of study in, in trying to discern important things like the flow of the narrative, the author's original intent, the key verses, and so on. And the passage looks similar in many respects to the ones that we've looked at in Acts uh, prior. Uh, but it clearly presents something different than what we've been seeing. Anytime we have uh, the Lord's words directly, it certainly points us to the emphasis. I want to suggest to you today that a big idea we'll see in this passage is uh, that we see once again how the Lord ministers through His servants, but we'll also notice Him ministering to His servants. Look with me now at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 for a start. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Let's pray together. Father, we commit this time to you, and we thank you for this opportunity we've had to come before you, to worship you, to remember your grace that make thing, makes things well with our souls. Father, we ask you to be with East Campus today. Bless the ministries there and, and be with Pastor Doug as he shares. Lord, be glorified. Father, work in our hearts and in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul's departure from Athens is an interesting one. We must always be cautious in our presumptions. But one can't help but be a little curious here. There's something going on. It's possible that Paul is demonstrating here frustration with the people of Athens. We don't know all the details, but it seems as though he was a little bit eager to leave. You say, where does that thought come from? If we back up into chapter 17, verse 16, it says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to come. And the idea was, must have been, that I will meet you in Athens. He, says that he was waiting for them to come, and that's when all that happened that we, that we reviewed last week. But in verse 5 here in chapter 18, it says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Logically, we can conclude that the original plan was for them to join in the work at Athens, but Paul doesn't wait for them. He gets out of there and he goes on to Corinth. It's likely that Silas and Timothy came to Athens and they're asking around, going, has anybody seen this man? His name is Paul. 
And maybe they uh, described him like, like Onesiphorus has. He says, he's a small man of stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness. For now he appeared like a man and now he has the face of an angel. It sounds like you would have known him if you'd have met him. And they're going around, you know, have you met this guy named Paul? He probably talked to you about Jesus, you know, and they describe him. And they're told by those who did meet him, yeah, he, he was here, but he's gone. He moved on to Corinth. And we might conclude that Paul was a little bit frustrated with the level of response in Athens. He tells them to repent, and he tells them judgment is coming, and that Jesus is that judge, and then he leaves. You and I might struggle with this, but uh, allow me to draw your minds back to Jesus. Remember the encounter Jesus has with the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus reviews some, not all of the commandments. He says, all these I've kept. What else should I do? And Jesus says, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. And what does the rich young ruler do? He goes away sad. Why do I bring that up? Jesus didn't chase him down. Jesus let him go. It's possible that, that, that Paul here is saying to the people of Athens, repent, judgment's coming, and, and Jesus is that judge. And they don't respond, and he's like, I'm out. I, I gave you the message. Perhaps Paul felt similarly about the Athens culture. Whatever the reason, Paul leaves Athens behind and he makes the 50-mile journey. The upcoming verses might reveal more, more, but first notice that Paul makes some friends, Aquila and Priscilla. They're also new to Corinth and they've been exiled from Rome because of their Jewish heritage. Priscilla and Aquila would become very good friends and ministry partners of Paul's. While we're not told how they came to faith, I mean, it's possible they were believers before they met Paul, or, and perhaps likely, they became connected because they were Jews and tent makers, and not long after that, they're introduced to Christ by Paul. We don't know. The tent making uh, makes it clear that they were further connected through their shared trade and their shared Jewish heritage. I want to make a quick side note here and say making connections often helps us have the opportunity to share our faith. Maybe it's where you work out or maybe where you eat. Uh, maybe you eat instead of work out. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's your hobbies, your interests, where you travel, sports, your work. Paul now has a good connection with them and, and he has a source of income and a place to stay and now fellow believers in Christ. And verse 4 makes it clear that he was able to proclaim Christ in the synagogue every Sabbath. Now look at verses 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. 
From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Silas and Timothy likely weren't too surprised to arrive and find Paul sharing with the Jews, but they might have been a little bit troubled by Paul's strong declaration against them, against those who were oppositional. Certainly it was not wrong for for Paul to do this, to, to shake out the dust against them. Remember the Lord's instructions to the apostles when he sent them out. We see it in In Matthew chapter 10, he he says very strong words about it. He says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So it's, it's not something new to Paul, but what might have surprised them would have been the finality of it. That they're arriving at Corinth to see that, that Paul's already done with some of these oppositional Jews. This was an act of disconnection. I'm shaking off the dust of this town toward you people. It's saying, I don't want to have any trace of you with me. I'm going to the Gentiles. I almost imagine Silas and Timothy looking at each other as though to say, hmm, this isn't going well here. And as only God could arrange, Paul wasn't going very far. Look at verses 7 and 8. And they left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. He's out of the synagogue but he's not out of reach. Where'd he go? Next door. The ruler of the synagogue and his family respond, and many Corinthians do as well, and they believed and are baptized. God is clearly working through Paul. Yet the next verses reveal more about Paul's condition. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Can I just remind you quickly that that our Lord never misjudges a situation, He never gets it wrong. He doesn't act foolishly without a purpose. His timing is always right, even when you think it's wrong. And I'm here to just call you to admit personally that there's been times when you thought his timing was off. Right? Don't leave me hanging, Parkview. (laughs) Don't. There's been times when you thought God's timing is off. Head nods. Something. Okay, a few of you are honest. Thank you. Tired of you guys leaving me hanging out to dry. I feel like I'm the only sinner around here. God doesn't get it wrong even when we think his timing is off. Paul's at a point where he is discouraged, he is worn down. No doubt he was ex- discouraged by the experience at Athens. 
He later expresses this when he writes back to the church of Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 with me, verses 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does he say to them? I didn't show up to you with impressive speech. Perhaps he had tried that in Athens and it really found it fruitless. He says, I came to you sharing Christ and Him crucified. But notice also what he says, how he came. I was weak. In fear. And trembling. He's sharing his condition at this time. And here's Paul's reflecting back on his own condition. And remember that he'd been beaten. He'd been driven out of places. Frustrated in Athens. Has great resistance from the Jews here in Corinth in the synagogue. Not to mention he's now in a sin-saturated culture. Corinth. A trade center of the region. Everything was available there. Money flowing through. Materialism and sexual sins all around the temple of Aphrodite, within which were 1,000 consecrated temple prostitutes. Homosexuality was prevalent. For centuries, the term Corinthianized carried the meaning of being sexually immoral. Kind of what Paul writes of in in the first chapter of Romans, verse 26. Where he writes, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships, relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. By the way, it's not a new thing to move the marker to adjust morality to what we can easily accept. That's what they were doing. I don't like what morality is, so I'm going to just adjust it. I'm going to move the standard to where I can meet the standard. As a teenager, when I got my license, I was always kind of an adrenaline junkie, and I really felt that the speed limits were prohibitive to my joy. I got three tickets in one night in one stop. But anyway, it's another story. If I'd had my way, if I'd moved the marker to meet what I want it to, it's a recipe for chaos and disaster. How depressing for Paul to be in this city and know that there's a better way. God's way. And he sees them just doing what they want and living in that way. 
Add to that the resistance that he's already facing from the Jews. He's, he's likely to be thinking, I know how this goes. I've been here before. They get upset. They drag me around. They accuse me. And I'm beaten and left for dead. It's likely here that Paul's worrying about things before they're actually a concern. Any of you ever done that? Worry about something before it's even a reality? You get so convinced that trouble is coming long before it does, and you add trials to your trials. You create your own trials because you're worrying. I won't force you to raise your hands or nod your head because I know you do. The Paul we encounter here is tired, he's discouraged, he's alone, and he's fearful. And who could blame him? But God knows. God sees. And God responds. He responds in a vision. He says, listen, do not be afraid. It's all good, Paul. The Lord loves Paul enough to encourage him. 1 John says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The Lord loves Paul. So the Lord sends him a word through a vision. Just a little bit ago, we sang the song, one word. Things change on God's authority. And the word now comes to Paul saying, listen, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Keep speaking up. Don't stop. Why? Because I'm with you. I am with you. Sometimes we just need to know that we're not alone. That the Lord puts supportive people in our lives. And look, that's what's happening. The Lord puts supportive people back in Paul's life and then reminds him that he's with them. Remember the words that Jesus gave as he gave the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples, right? But he goes on, he says, and behold, I am with you. When? Always. Where? To the end of the age. No matter what our circumstances might be as believers, the Lord is always with us. He gives him the assurance that everything's going to be okay. He says, no one will attack you to harm you. We need to understand that this is not a promise that Paul would never face physical harm again. Notice the phrase, for I have many in this city. It seems to be this idea that you're going to have a reprieve here. But no matter what, there's not going to be any lasting hurt. What can man do to you? I am with you. How encouraging to have that understanding that, that God is with you. Growing up, I was usually bigger than my peers, so I wasn't bullied often. But there was a little stretch where walking home from school, some older kids decided to have fun with me. My, my mother had uh, made me a bag to carry my books in, and these older boys seemed to find that funny. And I remember that they were making fun of it. And then at one point, they came and took it from me and twirled around and threw it like a, like a discus. 
And about the second or third time, my brothers heard of this happening. I was walking home, and I was not supposed to be anywhere near those guys. They always wanted me away from them. But I chose to walk near them because I saw in the distance my brothers. My brothers really felt like they were the only ones that had the right to pick on me. So they, they, they stepped in, and no blood was shed, but never again did those boys mess with me because my brothers had my back. Paul knew how wonderful and powerful his Lord was. And now he was reminded by the Lord, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. That by itself would be enough to help him not feel alone, but God had more in mind for Paul. He also sent friends. Priscilla and Aquila now are in his life. No doubt it was hard for them to have to leave their, their home in Rome. I mean, they, they, they were exiled, but God had a purpose in it, and one of that purposes was to be an encouragement to Paul. It allowed Paul to have a little break to even focus in on tent making. Candidly speaking, as a pastor, um, I have planned my escape from ministry more times than I want to count. I have. In my mind, I have, I've made a plan. I've, I've made an exit. I've, I've fantasized about it. I've it made it incredible in my mind of this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of this, and this is, these are the options that I have. And, I, and in the past, I've been able to build it up in my mind. But, but John 6, in the words that, that Jesus asked when he said, are, are you going to leave me too? Do you remember that? Late in the chapter? And the response was, where else would we go? You have the words of life. You, Jesus, have the words of life. Where can I go from you? We all need rest. We all need Sabbath. We need to be reminded that, the God, that God is near us, and we need those friends to come alongside of us. And he also got Silas and Timothy back. They return. And they come, and they bring a good report. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, we read this. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see, see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to, face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He gets a good report. Not only are Silas and Timothy back, but they're coming and they're, they're sharing a good report. There's also a financial gift, 2 Corinthians 11.9. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burn any, burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained, and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. What an encouragement. Not to mention, uh, Crispus is added in, the ruler of the synagogue and his family. God allows them to, him to see this empowered ministry taking place. 
How thrilling for Paul who deals with the difficulties of the Jews in the synagogues, but then sees the ruler of the synagogue come to faith, and many others believe. And God even uses the Roman proconsul to encourage Paul. Look at verse 12. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Notice this united attack on Paul. They bring him before the tribunal. And and I ask you, was Paul remembering the vision at this time? Questioning how things would turn out? It's interesting, even in their accusations, it speaks of the success of Paul's ministry. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Even in their accusation, they're acknowledging that that Paul is being used by God to do something. It's interesting here. It speaks of his noticeable impact on the people of Corinth. Encouraging. Of his persuasion, Paul, by his own admission, said he can simply proclaim Christ. He was doing it simply, and yet there was persuasion happening. And note the concern. These Jews only cared because God was effectively using Paul for gospel ministry. They care because he was a threat. Notice the response of Gallio, verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and about your law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Certainly Paul expected to and prepared to give his defense but that wouldn't be necessary. Gallio would have none of it. He essentially washes his hands of it, almost like Pilate did before crucifying Jesus. Can you imagine just how frustrated and irritated and even embarrassed these Jews must have been? Then it gets worse for them. Likely these Hellenistic Greeks who are there take matters into their own hands against the Jews and they beat Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Paul is spared and is safe, yet likely his greatest rival is physically beaten. Interestingly, it's, uh, it's possible that Sosthenes ra- later comes to faith. If you read 1 Corinthians 1.1, it says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. We don't know for sure. We don't know if it's the same one. We can't be convinced of it. Maybe Paul interceded, asked for them to be merciful to him. We don't know. Maybe he came later to him out of concern. Knowing the heart of Paul, I'm sure he would have rather seen the man come to faith than be beaten. We can only speculate. But what we can be sure of here is God's love and care for his own. 
Certainly Paul was refreshed and encouraged by the sequence of events that the Lord had in mind for him. The Lord knew Paul's limits. And can I assure you that he he knows yours and mine as well. His timing is never wrong. And he's working in ways that you may not even be aware of. Kent Hughes writes a summary of what the Lord might be saying to you today. Do not be afraid. Stop borrowing trouble. Look to me. I love you. Keep ministering. Keep caring. Keep speaking my name. Inactivity will only imprison your fears Believe that I am with you and will give you all the protection you need. Believe that life will bear fruit. I promise. What an encouragement. A God who will never leave us or forsake us. You in Christ are not forsaken. May you leave here today just encouraged by that. And even if you're in a season of trials or or you're struggling, have you ever considered what value there is in our trials? I mean, certainly we have what we read in the book of James about it, but what about the value of learning and being reminded of just how much we need God? Do you realize that when things go smooth and there's no issues, no problems, it's really easy to forget about God? We have everything we need. Things are just ticking along. How often in those times of hardship, in those times when we feel alone, the times we're struggling, are really those times when, when God is just reminding you just how near He is and just how much He loves you. That you're not forsaken. Are we thankful for those times that we're pushed or challenged? even discouraged, because in them we will remember just how faithful our God is. I watched my father go through some of those seasons, and I watched him be encouraged by those who came around him, be encouraged by the very Word of God, coming away from his time in the Word just refreshed and ready to go again. encouraged by the love of God, reminding us that we are not forsaken. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at a text like this and we consider what what that must have been like, we are just again, again encouraged to remember how great you are, that you take care of your servants, that you promise to never forsake or leave. Father, we thank you that you are one who desires to renew the spirit of your people. 
Lord, even as we're about to sing, renew my spirit, help me stand, be glorified today. We rest in you. Abide in us, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.